WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 71, all about Two Towers, Theatrical Edition, Part 1, being the 71st part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by John Negroni of Cinemaholics. Welcome, John. Hey, Mary Clay. So excited to talk about the Chronicles of Narnia with you. <laughs> uh, that wait, wait, wait. that may come at another time. You're Who laughing? knows? What? Oh, no. What did I watch? <laughs> oh, no. Did you watch? I know it can be kind of confusing. A lot of people confuse mm-hmm. um, the Prince Caspian movie and two towers because they both have walking trees and there's towers and there's high fantasy come on yeah yeah exactly it's a it's a very easy mistake to make yeah no today we are ta- we are here to talk about two towers theatrical edition i'm so excited to talk about it because i felt like i was going a little crazy talking ad nauseum about fellowship of the ring for a month and i just as i was like getting a little bit sick of it it was time to move on to two towers so sick of it i can't even imagine that is it just because you were watching <laughs> it in chunks and because i could imagine wanting more i was watching it many many times because i was also last month i was also on bacon and eggs for three weeks in a row to cover I've heard of it <laughs> each of the movies you know i was watching fellowship of the ring in depth and then i was also having to watch all of the movies again and and then i I had to do i also had to watch um i say i I say i had to you know like you're required legally i'm pretty sure yes uh uh-huh it's um it's in my tax statements actually that uh, it's a required yeah financial requirement for me yeah i'm sure you wanted to as well right yeah yeah so yeah i say i had to like it was torture no no no. i i watched the extended edition and in order to figure out what was different from the extended edition i synced up theatrical and extended on two different screens and then i would pause the theatrical what (laughs) listener john just made a a terrifying you were just doing it for the pod so much dedication (laughs) I would just be like, sorry, no, everyone, you're just gonna have to figure out the differences for yourselves. Like, this isn't class. See, I've gotten very intense comments about theatrical versus extended. So I couldn't just, you know, leave it untouched. But why don't you uh, tell me before we jump into the conversation, what is your history or experience with Lord of the Rings? I will tell you, and you know what? I was just talking about this with none other than Tyler Carlin on the Bacon and Eggs Discord. I'm familiar with him. Yeah, he's all right. No, uh, so I I read Lord of the Rings before I watched the movies because, not because I was cool like that, but because when the movies came out, I didn't get to see them in theaters. I was like the perfect age for it too. Like I was 10 years old when Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone came out, and then a month later when the fellowship of the ring came out and i was like these look cool and my parents were like sorry we're not going to take you to see this movie we don't care about fantasy and i was really upset about that but when i was in middle school i had a summer reading list and it included all the lord of the rings books and that same summer not only did i read all three books i also got to watch harry potter and the sorcerer's stone secretly (laughs) uh, because i had also not read the books even so that's my history i watched and i didn't watch the movies until eventually out of nowhere 
my mom, like after Two Towers came out, was like, these movies are amazing. Everyone I know loves them. And then she bought the DVDs. Uh, but in an even still, I, I did get to see Return of the King with my friends in theaters because at that point I was like 13 and I was like, you know, walking out of the house being like, see you later, mom. I'm going to go watch the new Lord of the Rings movie. There's nothing to do about it. <laughs> That's that's like really awesome, though, that you got to you at least get that because that's something that I'm I am going to be sad about is that I didn't get that experience of watching the movies in the theaters. And honestly, they need to do more screenings of yeah. the Lord of the Rings movies. Why don't they? There's always um, in Richmond at the at the Bird Theater, they always show the Harry Potter movies all the time and they have, you know, screenings and and drive-in theaters or like they need to be doing Lord where are the Lord of the Rings screenings? Maybe because it's so long, you know, cuz our drive-ins they long. show like Indiana Jones, but they don't show like the really long movies. So. Well, I don't know. Well, one of the drive-ins near me, um I say near, it's like out in a county like 40 minutes out in the middle of nowhere. I think I know the um, one you're talking about cuz I've been to it. <laughs> It's where I saw Monsters University. They've been doing like double features where they should. And that, you know, a a double feature of two normal movies is yeah. the length of one Return of the King. It's so. two towers. So two movies. There you go. What? <laughs> yeah. So like why? So it does make me sad that I had I didn't get that experience. Um, And I'm also uh, I also am like similarly bummed out that I came on to the Harry Potter craze well into I think it was maybe the fifth movie or the sixth movie movie if at that point movie, I movie that's better than me because I came in at Half Blood Prince so I, no I think that's I think that I think I came in in between those I see yeah because there's two the last ones so then I'm thinking both oh no yeah no I mean movies because I wanted yeah. nothing to do I thought I was really cool because I wanted nothing to do with the Harry Potter books right, everyone yeah. was like you gotta read these and i'm like no thanks i'm gonna sit over here with my series of unfortunate events you could be popular sorry golden compass and me have got this little weekend planned out (laughs) so uh yeah so i like i missed out on the midnight premieres for the harry potter movies and the like borders midnight releases for the books and it makes me sad but um but something that doesn't make me sad is this movie yeah particularly this is going to be a very unpopular opinion but i think this first 45 minutes is my favorite part of this movie. What? Maybe maybe the middle section, but hmm. I'm um I have some intense feelings about Helm's Deep because it okay. it completely throws off how they structured the movie and so because of that there were a lot of changes from the books that I I disagree with viscerally. The beginning? The beginning is nothing but setup. It's all setup. So the thing is is that I could watch like seven hours of Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn just running around the the New Zealand countryside chasing orcs. That's pretty cool. There's some, you know? there's some good shots and some good flexes with that camera with them, especially with Gimli like collapsing. It's pretty funny stuff. Yeah, yeah. Also, real quick, I wanna I want to timestamp this this episode in case like we say something that is later proved insanely wrong or is just wildly inappropriate for the time or whatever. We are recording this episode on what is today, November fourth. It is nine PM EST, and I believe we are still waiting for Nevada to be counted. 
So, so at this point in time, we don't know who the president is. We have a feeling, but we don't know. So, hopefully, you listener next week listening to this <laughs> are you yeah. know in more of a definitive state of the country than than we are currently. But uh, hopefully, people weren't tuning into us for like live election results. And you're yeah, disappointed. yeah, you're gonna be very, oh, yeah, so very behind. much disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, so Two Towers, we are covering the first, um, I say 45 minutes, I believe it's 40, I don't remember the exact time stamp, it's but it was like- 46 minutes and 52 seconds. Yes. This is hopefully listeners so that the conversations I have with my guests are more manageable because I totally divided up Fellowship of the Ring into, like, I did it wrong and I should have divided it up more into smaller chunks. So I'm hoping that by doing 45 minutes, it's better. We'll see. It's all an experiment, basically, that I'm figuring out. And then by the time I have something nailed down, I'll be done with the movies. Impressive. Is there like a name of this segment? Because I tried to workshop some ones. My first my first one and my favorite is definitely like Rohan, comma, what you doing? Just, <laughs> just that. My other one is a play on uh, the lone Rohandor, and it's it needs some work. I understand. I know that's the case. <laughs> Those are great. I think no. I think that's a great way to summarize this this section of the movie. Yeah. Gandalf the what? <laughs> he doesn't even know, you know, because he's like Gandalf. he forgets yeah, his yeah, name. Just... Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> that sounds familiar. What up? It's Mary Clay from the future here with this week's movie summary. I did a Twitter poll that said that you guys like these, so uh, here we go. Previously on The Fellowship of the Ring, the gang escapes Moria safely as Gandalf falls to his death fighting a Balrog. We see him grab his sword and catch up to slay the beast, except for Frodo wakes up and it was all a dream. Or was it? Sam and Frodo, to the surprise of no one, are lost as they wander around trying to get to Mordor. Enter Gollum, a character so well done that you will cringe every time he's on screen. After some emotional manipulation on all sides, Gollum agrees to help them get to Mordor, and Frodo ignores every sign that this is a bad idea. Meanwhile, the Uruk-hai still have Merry and Pippin. But what's that smell? Man flesh? Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are gaining on their trail. What's the Golden Trio been up to since we last saw them? Well, Aragorn's listening to the Earth, Gimli's insisting that dwarves are very robust and threatening people, and Legolas is being an ominous elf. So, just the usual. Legolas looks into the distance and sees that they're taking the hobbits to Isengard! In Isengard, Saruman is hard at work breeding more orcs, chopping down trees, and encouraging his followers to burn villages in Rohan. Just an average Tuesday for Donald Trump, a one-term president. In Rohan, everything is fine. Or at least, that's what Wormtongue tells Theoden. Eomer and Eowyn explain to their uncle that Theodred, his son, and their cousin is dying. Theoden, who has been corrupted by Saruman via Wormtongue, has no idea what's happening around him. Just in case you're wondering if Wormtongue is a bad guy, he banishes Eomer and stalks Eowyn. So, yeah, he's very obviously a bad guy. There's infighting with the Urukai over whether to keep the hobbits alive or eat them, but looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Never mind what a menu is. Suddenly, the Rohirrim interrupt their cannibalism and a battle ensues. Merry and Pippin try to escape when suddenly a horse tramples Pippin and kills him. I mean, not really, but can you imagine what a dark choice to make 25 minutes in? The Golden Trio run into the Riders of Rohan and they have a calm conversation. Just kidding. Aomer threatens Gimli, Legolas threatens Aomer, the Rohirrim almost kill all of them, but eventually they talk it out and learn that they killed all of the orcs and didn't see any hobbits. The trio investigate the burning pile of orcs and assume the worst after finding one of the hobbits' belts. Aragorn goes into strider mode and retraces their path to find that they escaped into Fangorn Forest. 
By the way, did you know that when Aragorn kicks the helmet, Viggo Mortensen actually broke his toes and that's the take that they kept in the movie? In Fangorn Forest, Merry and Pippin climb a tree to escape an orc still chasing them. Suddenly, the tree comes to life and saves them. Oh, sorry. He's no tree. He's an Ent. And his name is Treebeard. And he's taking them to see the White Wizard. Oh no, there's only one White Wizard and it's definitely Saruman. Just as things are getting good with a collective sigh, we cut back to Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, still f***ing around on their way to Mordor. They pass through the dead marshes. Gollum rescues Frodo after he is entranced by a body in the water. Frodo becomes obsessed with the ring and begins to form a connection with Gollum, which all goes over really well with Sam. And then they scramble to hide from the ring wraiths passing by, despite the elven cloaks on their backs that they'll use in about 15 minutes. The golden trio is back on Merry and Pippin's trail in Fangorn Forest and prepare themselves to fight the White Wizard. They are literally no match for him and get blown back immediately, but lucky for them, it's actually Gandalf. In a flashback, we see that Gandalf defeated the Balrog, and due to some obscure wizard god magic, he came back as Gandalf the White. His first act as Gandalf the White was scoring a really dope horse named Shadowfax, who comes running in slow motion through the fields like an erotic period drama. The gang heads off to help Rohan, where they will surely be met with open arms. Uh, so it opens up with beautiful scenery again once more of of new zealand and we have like a legit previously on the lord of the rings moment i don't know i thought it was weird i understand why they did it it was to remind the the viewer if i guess if you're coming in and into the theater and you hadn't seen fellowship of the ring that gandalf died fighting this balrog and it shows the whole sequence again i want to bring up something that i forgot to talk about during the fellowship of the ring episode on gandalf's death when he says fly you fools there's a fan theory that that was him telling them that they should take the eagles and fly to mordor i i disagree with that theory with every fiber of my being yeah (laughs) no i i do not understand sauron controls the skies they're sitting ducks on the eagles. They would have died. They wouldn't have made it. There's multiple reasons why it wouldn't have worked. You know, one thing is that like they can't for the same reason they can't let, you know, Aragorn or the elves or or Gandalf have the ring. It's, you know, the eagles are also these fantastical uh, beasts. I don't know. And where to find them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to find him. <laughs> Clearly Gandalf um, knows though. <laughs> so like they can't have the ring because they're very powerful and it could corrupt them. Um and then also the whole the whole thing is stealth. They have to be the only reason it ends up working is because of the distraction with the battle at the Black Gate. Exactly. So. The ring race like could kill the eagles. Like if they had the element of surprise, yeah. I don't want to gloss over it, but I do I personally really like the opening because it is a nice transition like just when like we're over the mountain a bit and you just hear the voiceover you don't you don't Mm -hmm. they don't just like jump you right into it it like sets the mood it kind of slowly brings you to it and i it kind of reminds me of like anime in a way because a lot of animes will open this way where they take you right to the scene that happened in the episode right before but then it continues that scene a little bit uh a good example is probably like one piece i love one piece and um that happens a lot like they just kick kick you off like maybe two minutes before the episode ended last time but then they don't really stop they just kind of keep going sometimes and that's kind of what they do here right it shows a little bit of what happens after Gandalf falls you know shows him fighting and everything and then it's revealed that it's Frodo you know Frodo is waking up so I guess you know you know obviously we know that that actually did happen and and Gandalf did have this battle because he comes back and he defeats the Balrog and talks about that later on but you know that's this is kind of you know Frodo's imagining of of what 
happened and maybe his subconscious being like maybe he did survive i always took it as like he's waking up and maybe he had a vague version of that dream but we the audience saw something that he didn't see because is there any point in the books or the movies where it's suggested that he has any sort of like prophetic like eye into other events outside of his own understanding um Unfortunately, I can't remember specifically. I think they have a couple, the hobbits have a couple dreams kind of like that when they are in the house of Tom Bombadil uh, in the book. I feel like something else happened. If that's the case... That's a fun nod. If that, yeah. Know. So, well, I mean, I agree. I agree with you that like as you're watching, you're like, oh, we get to see Gandalf's side of what happened. Right. But if we're going by the the rules of what they set up in the scene of like, oh, this is Frodo's dream. Right. Then it's like, well, Frodo couldn't have known what happened after Gandalf fell. So I just assumed like, oh, I guess that's him imagining it. But, you know, the reality is, is that it's just the producers and, and directors, you know, whoever makes those decisions, scriptwriters, whatever, giving that bit of foreshadowing that like Gandalf maybe did survive. Who knows? Frodo wakes up and, you know, he's with Sam and they're on their own and they're traveling in circles they're lost as they are sleeping Gollum approaches them and starts you know filthy little thieves they stole it from us and so previously previously on that's what I'm talking about now um during the Fellowship of the Ring episodes I was not kind to the special effects and the CGI because watching it in 2020 for the first time is it's very jarring because not all of the special effects are are good still. However, Gollum is really good yeah. and it still holds up really well 20 years later. It's really amazing how, because um, this was like super, the things that they did with Gollum and Andy Serkis, the actor slash voice actor or whatever for Gollum, are all very foundational for a lot of special effects and everything in movies for the 2000s, yeah. Yeah, it's super influential and obviously it's what really brought Circus to like another level. I personally believe that this Gollum intro, everything about it from the visuals to the writing to the choreography and like how his character comes across, mm-hmm. if this movie did not nail that and him in general, I do not think this movie in Return of the King work. Like I think they would just be totally yeah. Underclassed, especially compared to the first movie. But I think Gollum, he's like this, he's a secret weapon because every time he's on screen, to me, that's when I'm the most invested. Yeah. And you, um, it's also, uh, so I, I like, I say this with love because it's a compliment, but everything with Gollum in it, I hate. You know, it's so well done and you just have this, I just have this level of unease whenever he's on the screen. The voice he uses, the way he looks, it's it's gross and and then the way that he, you know, is clearly addicted to the ring and is just trying to, you know, do whatever it takes to get it back. It's it's unsettling, but it's it's so well done that yeah i agree if they hadn't if they hadn't done this well it would have been like we don't have to worry about this part of the movie with Gollum because he's nothing to worry about but he is a hundred percent and as the audience you don't have to sit there and be like how could they possibly well not they really Frodo how could Frodo possibly you know keep him around and do all of this it's like he needs him (laughs) like Mm -hmm. without Gollum like 
as the audience, we know that they'll never make it to their destination. And so there is this sort of like devil's bargain that just makes their part of the story so fraught and so different and interesting because elsewhere people are, with, you know, there's sword fights and political intrigue. But with these characters, it's about stealth and it's about manipulation. And it's fascinating to see that juxtaposed. And I, I also have to say, um, I think that uh, in this opening scene, where like Gollum is like creeping up on them. I read somewhere that Andy Serkis was like basing it off of like heroin addicts. And yeah. mm-hmm. you really get that vibe, like that whole yeah. dissension. Oh, it's scary. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, there were so many scenes. I think there's one particular scene later on in Two Towers. Honestly, everything is all blending together. It's just one nine hour movie at this point in my brain. Andy Serkis is fantastic in this. And, you know, like, where is his Oscar? Let's go back 17 years ago. (laughs) The, like, energy that he put into this role is so intense. So he would drink what he called Gollum juice, which was a mixture of honey, lemon, and ginger to keep his vocal cords from from being fried, basically. And apparently he was also, like, like one of his hobbies is, is rock climbing. And so he used that, you know, for crawling around on all fours. So you can just tell how invested he was in this role Um, and it it really pays off it really works well Frodo yeah Frodo and Sam are wandering around they're very lost Gollum shows up and there's a moment where Frodo is it's the first of several moments throughout this and Return of the King where the theme and idea of mercy comes into play and he has a moment where he can kill Gollum and decides not to and that ends up being a very important move on their part (laughs) it's such a cool moment i never picked up on it before but on this watch there i do sort of feel like it's mercy built out of pride where frodo it's like because he has the leg up on Gollum, it's like a combination of pity and Mm -hmm. like overconfidence in his control of the situation which i i had never really uh noticed that before but that's another character flaw of frodo's yeah i totally see that because he um when he holds the sword up, he says, this is Sting. You've seen it before. And it's like very almost like yeah. braggadocious. Chill out, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't know how to use that thing. Don't. <laughs> and then we cut to oh, th- this was the scene where I just I was like, I, I go from first an appreciation of Gollum, like I've already gushed about onto like, oh, my God, get him off the screen, which is when they have the rope around him. And if you didn't watch the extended edition, you're like, I don't get it. It's just rope. What's what's up with this? But this is elven rope that Galadriel gave to Sam when they left Lothlorien. And so because of that, that's something that I'm not sure um, would come across to just movie watchers if they don't have that context from the books but the reason Gollum is screaming about it burning him is because it's you know elven magic it's good magic and he can't stand that because he's been so corrupted by the ring and he's just like shrieking and screaming and like Sam or Frodo is like this isn't gonna work but this is supposed to be a stealth mission every mod every orchid mordor is gonna hear us with that racket yeah exactly that yeah yeah uh, Sam the audience surrogate (laughs) and truthfully so many times where it's like Frodo what reason do you have to not believe Sam in this moment 
Like, he's your best bud. You need to listen to him. But whatever, (laughs) whatever. That will come. More conversations about that will come later on. And they agree to this is like the first moment of manipulation, really, that you see with Gollum, where he gets them to take the rope off and like pledges his allegiance basically to Frodo and, you know, promises to serve him as his master and, you know, all that gross stuff. Um, And um. Sam doesn't have a good feeling about it, of course, but and it only gets worse. <laughs> yeah, it only gets worse. Yeah, but they they have to they have to forge onward. Yeah. Um. So then we cut back to what is my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> we see orcs running in a in a giant herd and Merry and Pippin. Um. And unfortunately, now I say unfortunately, it's my like favorite thing I've seen now. There's a video that was created like a year ago and it kind of went viral again this time. And then the guy who made it did another one of orcs with normal voices. Oh my gosh, I got to see this. I will send you the link to it because I can't unhear it and the scene (laughs) so this scene is i think the first video that he made and it's literally it's like what do you smell man flesh that's glorious (laughs) oh can i say real quick this Mm. is in two towers this is my favorite mary and pippin that we get in all three movies like i know people really like what happens with uh, at least Pippin in the third movie, but man, in this movie, they're so fun and like they're little like escaping the orcs, the underdogs, just like some comedy relief. I I love them. They're so great. Yeah, I also when I was reading this part of Two Towers, I also liked reading their chapters the most, especially because they're they're mostly with Treebeard, um, and Treebeard is one of my favorite parts. Yes, I love the ants. Speaking of Mary and Pippin, um, another thing that they did for like forced perspective and stuff to make the hobbits look smaller. So when Mary and Pippin are on the backs of the orcs. Um, they had, they were being carried by two stuntmen who had like oversized costumes on. And then they also made these like giant false heads to put on the stuntmen. You know, obviously they would look enormous compared to Merry and Pippin. You can kind of tell too. And it makes sense why they zoom up all the way to their faces Mm -hmm. whenever they're shown on screen. Like I'm literally watching it right now. And it's like, it's obvious when you know that, but it's movie magic. Yeah. So I just, um, I like hearing about all of the different things that they had to do since you know four of your main characters are smaller five when you include Gimli are smaller than the rest of the people you have to do a lot and it's it's a lot of work to put in aside from just you know CGIing every single scene yeah you just can't take shortcuts <coughs> hobbit <coughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah, so I just like, you know, hearing all of the practical effects that that went into um, stuff like this. Oh, also another practical effect I want to share. So because so the orc's blood is black, I guess designers and makeup people were like, oh, it would be kind of weird if they had you see them talking and screaming and they have pink mouths. So they gave to the orc actors before all of their scenes a licorice mouthwash for them to swish around in their mouths. I would and s- oh, I'd hate to be in their shoes. Ugh. Yeah, that's just dis- I was like, that's disgusting. I mean, it's really smart, but that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's smart if you're the one if you're the director. But <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the orcs are like, ah, oh, I can, they're, they're gaining on us. What do you smell? Man flesh. <laughs> uh, and they, <laughs> and they pick up the speed. And Mary and Pippin have this moment of like, oh my God, they're, they're, 
coming for us. It's it's a fairy's like sweet moment, honestly, of like they're near, they're gonna save us. They're so innocent. And, yeah, and Pippin uh rips off the brooch on his cloak uh with his mouth to leave as a clue. Very smart. People are always like, mm-hmm. Pippin's so dumb. Pippin's not that. He just puts up a front, he's goofy, he's fun loving and naive, but he's not dumb. I don't know. I think this is maybe the one smart thing he does in the That's whole fair. series. <laughs> <laughs> that has been a while since uh... Like he pe- he peaked in this moment. <laughs> he peaked. <laughs> he ran out of uh yeah, he he he's the only nat 20 that he rolls. Yeah. I can't remember if it's him or Mary at the end of Two Towers that convinces Treebeard to take them the other direction, but um yeah, he doesn't have too many smart moments. I vaguely remember him like helping with that. I don't I, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're right though that Pip or Mary institutes it or concert. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, but this is one of his few smart moments. And then we cut to it's my favorite thing ever. We cut to Aragorn and he has his face, his ears pressed against the ground and he's listening to it. Very strong avatar vibes, you know, like everything is connected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. You see him in his full. As I as I call it, ranger mode, where he is he is in his element. He is loving this of like, all right, we get to track some orcs. I get to use all of those skills that I've been honing my entire life. It all comes to this moment. Yeah, and he's listening to the earth, and he says like, they're quickening their pace and blah blah blah. I just like Legolas comes in, and then you see Gimli's like barely keeping up with them. What bad rock can tell. <laughs> And uh, and this was when I was just like, oh, I love this part of the movie. It's a great, it's like my favorite part of the it's story. Fun. And yeah, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of energy, a lot of like adventurous swashbuckling journey stuff. I love like, I yeah, I love all of his like ranger stuff. It's very, it's like very intense, but it's great. It's great. Yeah. And Gimli, <laughs> Gimli has a great moment. He kind of, they've really like pushed him uh, in this movie and moving forward more into a comedic yeah. relief role which i understand because they're not with the hobbits anymore whenever they're you know whenever you're showing their part of the story until we get to return of the king it's just them and there's you know very little that's funny about theoden being possessed by saruman yeah. and worm tongue and helm's deep so and it makes sense for gimli's character arc because i think the first movie does really well to focus on his legacy and his comrades who have been killed. But then the next two movies are about him finding that new family with Legolas and Aragorn. And that comedic relief really helps. Like it really sells like the love and affection they have for each other. It's beautiful because Mm -hmm. I mean, like we really see like these, uh, especially Legolas and Gimli develop like a genuine camaraderie that wasn't there in the first movie because that's before they go through all this peril together and i gotta say gimli is a trooper like he is like keeping up he's not loving it but he's still doing it because he loves his hobbits and i love gimli so much yeah he says um we dwarves are not made for cross country uh sprinting is where yeah Yeah. and then he's yeah he says we're very dangerous over short distances yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then at one point legolas it's like, oh, huh, I see something happening over there. And Aragorn says, what do your elf eyes see? And of course he says, the iconic, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. Yeah. <laughs> and many a YouTube video was born. It's 
so good. Ah, uh, chef's Boom. kiss. He's a, he's a mensch. I think that he really understands what this movie did for him. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with like, I think the Pirates of the Caribbean success also kind of humbled him a little. And um, mm-hmm. I still, I think that uh, he's not the most developed character in these movies, as cool as he is. But I don't know if you've already had that conversation. Well, first, I just want to say there was a really like sweet and comforting video that uh, Orlando Bloom did. When is today? Is still Wednesday? <laughs> election is it? Day. <laughs> it literally feels like it's been a week since election day, which was just yesterday. Anyway, um, I woke up yesterday to a message from my from one of my friends, and she sent me this video that Orlando Bloom did on Instagram of him saying, "Like I know that you feel like your vote doesn't matter, and this is such a heavy burden, and it's a hard task." And it got me thinking, and it it feels very much like. Frodo having to go to Mordor and destroy the ring and it's hard but what you do can make a huge difference and you know the smallest person can make a difference in the world and I I like this was you know at 9 30 in the morning I'm lying in bed and already a ball of anxiety and I was like <laughs> am I about to start crying oh. already because <laughs> that, I mean that's so inspiring and I mm-hmm. I will admit this that was definitely very present in the front of my mind as I was watching this. And I was like, hmm, a story about, uh, you know, fighting against insurmountable odds and a long journey that's going to take hours and hours to see the conclusion of. I wonder if that's relatable. Uh, Yes. So he says they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. And then we cut to Isengard. And we see Saruman and he's talking, he's saying that his orcs and Saruman's forces are going to join up as a union of the two towers. And it's like, oh, there's the name drop. (laughs) I still am adamant that two towers is just a terrible name for for the book and the movie because it's it's barely about the towers. But it sounds cool. Kind of about Orthanc in Isengard, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, the other towers, Barad-dur or, Mor- or Minas Morgul," and I'm like, "Okay, but those don't really come into play until Return of the King." There, there, there are no. And the other thing is that there are more than two towers in this world. There are many towers. Well, that's so why I always I just... wondered if it's like just trying to reference the victory over the two towers in this, right? Like, and if it's like the if Tolkien was trying to get to the idea that. This victory that the Ents have is way more consequential than the flashy Helm's deep sequence. But because of the movies, it doesn't really come across that way. You know, like it's still yeah. epic, but it's not like the centerpiece of the movie. Mm-hmm, exactly. So that, you know, I mean, that being said, I don't know what else I would have named it if I was Tolkien. So Helm's deep. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, have the same yeah. <laughs> We see the orcs cutting down more trees, and it's like, hmm, foreshadowing, and uh, Saruman says, I actually, I had to go back, I went back and rewound it to make sure I heard it correctly, because I was like, that sounds a little too on the nose. He says, the old world will burn in the fire of industry. And it's just so on the nose for Tolkien's themes in the books of nature versus, you know, man versus nature or society and industrialization versus nature. Yeah. And World War Two, you know, like the using mm-hmm. of industry to like burn our resources in order to like inflict war on other human beings. Yeah. Um, we see more orcs being birthed. It's very gross. Reminds me of the Matrix a little bit. 
<laughs> I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> and then um, and then we see Saruman instigating a lot of unrest. And this is something that I, I do like that you get to see this because in the books, you don't see Saruman at all until you're on- you only hear about what he's done from Gandalf when they're in the Council of Elrond. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. he turned and he locked me up for a couple weeks and I had to escape and it was a whole thing. And then you don't see him until he's been defeated by the Ents. So I do like that you get to see his part of the story and you see him there he is um like riling up this group of people who's i guess land or homes have been stolen by rohan i think is what yeah the horse lords i think it's implied that yeah they like seize a lot of territory or like they probably inflict a bunch of taxes on what i assume are like maybe bandits or like maybe mm-hmm. like vagabonds and stuff and the the thought i had <laughs> again context i was like well, if this took place in the modern day, all you would have to use is Facebook and he'd basically do the same thing here. <laughs> um, yeah, so he tells them, he's like, go burn every village, every, you know, take back what is yours. And we see this just like, you know, everyday village reacting to this. And this mother sent, uh, sends her two young children off to let the king of Rohan know that this is happening, which is a very big weight, I should say, to, yeah. to put on the backs of these two children. But look. That's why I think this is one of the most important scenes in the entire movie, and I stand by it. Because, first of all, it is like a, I don't want to say metaphor, but it is like an amalgamation of like what this entire story is about putting that yeah. responsibility on the next generation and the, what the seemingly powerless and also just showing like what the stakes are because it would be so easy hobbit for you to just sort of like <laughs> assume the audience knows what the stakes are but by showing this village being devastated mm. it's very efficient storytelling because then yeah. you get that across fast and then you move on i mean uh, you know if you're just coming at it from the perspective of the books you're only seeing these events through the eyes of the main characters through the eyes right. of the people who have the most power in this situation so having this scene where you see this village being burned and this mother like sending her children off and then later on with Helm's Deep you see all the refugees and Rohan hiding and everything you see that everyday person and how their lives are being so vastly affected the things that Saruman and the things that Sauron are doing isn't just affecting Frodo and the Ents and Rohan it's affecting the entire land and every person it's so Except hard. Except for the Shire, apparently, yeah. in the movies. But whatever, we'll get to that in Return of the King. So then we have this introduction of Rohan. And we're now in Rohan. And I loved everything. I love everything about Rohan. All the scenes. It's great. Oh, it's so good. The writers of Rohan are coming back in. And they're holding up this one dude who looks like he's about to die. Then we have Eowyn rushing in. And this is something My that... My queen. Uh, <laughs> sh- uh, I, it was something that once I noticed notice it i couldn't unnotice it her sleeves in this movie and the other point they're they're massive oh yeah you could clothe a full child in just the fabric of her sleeves (laughs) her sleeve is one child (laughs) yes exactly um anyway and so she rushes in and aomer her brother is there and they're watching over their cousin who's dying theodred carl urban in the house by the way oh yeah yeah so great I really love him as Aomer. It's His so wig. great. I, I swoon over it. I have like a slight, slight criticism of like, it, I, I, not a criticism. It's just when you watch these movies as like a 13 year old or 12 year old, it's so hard to keep these characters straight. Oh, I don't Because then you. like Faramir shows up later and I'm just like, who? 
mm-hmm. wasn't that the guy who you know you know because they do it so fast like introducing everybody it's a lot easier when you read the books but yeah I, even after reading the books i was kind of confused no i'm totally with you there because that was something so for your context john uh i watched fellowship of the ring the first time i watched it was four years ago for a film class you know never seen it never read the books never knew anything about lord of the rings until then and i'm watching it and i'm like i don't know who these people are like there's so many characters i was like i think that one's gandalf because he looks like dumbledore and uh (laughs) and and then your professor was like one day you will do a podcast about these (laughs) movies and books and um and then reading the books you know last year reading the books i couldn't for the life of me remember what what Aragorn or Boromir looked like because in my mind they were the same person because I could like I was just like yeah they're just two there were the two white dudes that were normal sized that weren't Gandalf or Orlando Bloom in that movie yeah they just kind of blended together so literally when I rewatched these movies a few years ago I watched them while looking at a map because I was like I just want to understand like where everything is and that's actually super helpful a fun fact that I learned so when so just before Legolas says they're taking the hobbits to Isengard he says something about like they're turning northeast if they were turning northeast they would be heading in the wrong direction (laughs) you just got got just saying anyway the only reason that like i know that this character is aomer and the only reason i know this dead body character is theodred is because i read the books i would have zero idea who they are in reference to each other i mean like they try like grima sort of like ah aomer son of you know son of yeah there's lip service but i mean compare it to like when you see grima wormtongue you're like i think he's evil i can't put my (laughs) finger on it but, Pretty sure he's not good. Yeah, maybe Slytherin. I don't know. But but it is uh, it's interesting here because you see the things that happen in Rohan with Theoden before we get to them in the books. Because when Gandalf comes back and he meets up with Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli again, and then they go to Rohan, all of these things have already happened. So it's really interesting to get to see that happening before your eyes of like, oh, his son Theodred is dying. Theoden is. I love the use when they cut to, so you go into his, um, I don't know what it's called, his like throne room castle. Um, Something like that. And I love how it's so dark in there and it feels so claustrophobic lots of shadows yeah lots of shadows almost like there's a shadow a literal shadow Mm. hanging over theoden hmm and yeah we see worm tongue come in he's nasty looking theoden is also nasty looking he's very old and decrepit his eyes are very glassy and fogged over it's a really it's really effective the way that they have portrayed the influence that you know, Saruman and Wormtongue are having over him. Yeah, and they don't explain it very well. Like, they don't really, like, get into any of that exposition, which is wise. But, yeah, it's a unique problem they have because this scene obviously is not chronological with everything we just watched. Like, it's not really possible to, like, have the banishment and then him getting the company and already being this far away from Rohan. and Because, like, it cuts to that scene pretty soon. Mm -hmm. But... You know, there's not really much they could have done. If they had tried to put this earlier in the movie, it would have felt really jarring. And if they put it any later, that obviously wouldn't work. So, yeah, there's not much they could do there. 
Yeah. Aemer is like, we have to do something. You know, Saruman's coming up. Our land, like, this isn't a good situation. And Wormtongue yells at him and is like, who are you to betray your king or whatever? You are banished. Um, And this is something that I, I'm a bad podcast host and I should have gone back in the book and checked. I'm not sure that actually happens in the book. I think when the writers run into Aragorn, they're just out in the land, like protecting it and surveying it. And they just run into him. I don't think they're banished in the books i think that's just a a movie thing that could be consolidating a little bit because it wouldn't Mm -hmm. make sense that there were writers of rohan still affiliated with the king before you know any of the uh stuff happens yeah and then there's also this shot of worm tongue looking at eowyn as she is leaving and this is a an addition to the movie is that i'm not mad about it because it's really effective and it works and like in that sense i really like it but in the other sense i really hate it because of what the change is and it's like it's this implication that worm tongue is like sexually harassing or assaulting eowyn this whole time or at least he's very you know he's very predator predatorial yeah. is that is that a word over her and it's 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 ter- it's you know it's just another drop in the bucket is that a phrase <laughs> of of like worm tongue is not a good guy folks yeah they really rub the salt in that you know you could really make the argument it's not necessary i guess part of it too oh, is it's it- not at all <laughs> yeah i think though maybe they also want to add more stakes to it or make it seem like she's in danger even though she's sort of like ancillary to all mm-hmm. the drama with uh him so i i'm not a hundred percent sure what they were going for but agreed it's icky i don't like it yeah icky is a great word to describe it yes so then we cut back to the orcs aragorn and he makes this comment that like oh this this is not normal for these orcs they are moving fast they're in the daylight this isn't this isn't good um and we see them take a break at night and they drop Merry and Pippin and they're arguing over they're hungry and all they've had is maggoty bread (laughs) and then they get into a fight and one orc kills another and then says looks like meat's back on the menu boys (laughs) I could just eat their legs they don't need them I'd love to hear that in the normal voice. It looks like meat's back on our menu, boy. No way. Also, the hobbit's legs are tiny. That's not going to feed. There are so many orcs. These hobbit legs are You know that's not going to stave off their appetites. But this is, of course, the like, how do the orcs know what a menu is? They don't know what a menu is. Maybe they have little orc taverns, you know? (laughs) Maybe, yeah. My follow-up question is also, so they say, looks like meat's back on the menu, boy. Do the orcs have a concept for what gender is? Or at least the Urukai? If you're going by Lord of the Rings, I don't think so. I don't know, because obviously, like uh, Elder Scrolls has gender within orcs. So I'm not sure if Tolkien ever had that in mind. I have no idea. Yeah, because it, um, at least with the Urukai, it appears that. Saruman uses his magic to make them. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look like there are there are females for breeding in the movie world. I think that actually there's a very gross history that they go into in the books of that. So it looks like, okay, it doesn't look like there are any female orcs. So I'm like, do they know what boys are? Interesting. Anyway. Maybe just- they have like an orc <laughs> preschool, you know, it's like 
this is what the humans, you know, they have menus, they have <laughs> boys and girls, you know, who knows? That's all you need to know, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very quick class. And then um, right as Mary and Pippin are talking about like, there's just, you know, another like sweet, sad little moment between them. Mary says, I don't, I think we made a mistake leaving the Shire. <laughs> And it's just one of those things Uh, of like, wow, what an understatement, boys. (laughs) Luckily, they get saved. Or actually, we don't know yet. Ooh, we're kind of left on a cliffhanger here. The writers of Rohan come in and battle these orcs. It's a miracle that Merry and Pippin aren't just trampled because they're so tiny and there's so many horses. (laughs) But they kind of use that to their advantage that they're so small and nimble. But yeah, in this scene in particular, it is sort of implied that they get trampled. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh no, yeah, it cuts a- it cuts away right as I think Pippin is about to be hit by a, you know trampled by a horse, and you're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And it cuts to Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn again, and Legolas comes in again with another ominous elf moment. Ominous elf moment. <laughs> <laughs> he has many of them. Oh, they're perfect. Um, a red sun rises. Blood has been spilt this night. <laughs> I would just be at that point. I'd be like, dude. Coffee doesn't exist in this universe, so I'm going to need you to shut up (laughs) too early. Um, Apparently, to get this shot, this like dawn, you know, as the sun is rising, whatever in the background, Viggo Mortensen persuaded the second unit team to camp out on location. And his efforts in organizing this overnight camp out were so effective that actors and crew from the other film units, including Miranda Otto, who plays Eowyn, joined in for this little camp out. And I love That's that. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. People don't people don't appreciate how extraordinarily difficult it is to film a movie during either like the morning twilight or not the twilight. Uh, I forget what it's called in the very beginning of the day, but then also like the golden hour and like dusk mm-hmm. and like capturing that exact lighting is that's why movies that do it really well. Like Denis Villeneuve is amazing at it. Like with films like Sicario um, and uh, his uh, cinematographer, blanking out Roger Deakins. Oh my goodness. They're so good at doing that sort of thing. So every time I see it in any movie, I get a little bit giddy. Yeah, it's uh, it was very yeah, it was very well done. So good job, Viggo Mortensen, getting that little that little camp Great out job. going. Very nice. I should also mention that during filming all of these scenes where the three of them are just running and they're doing these you know helicopter shots of them running through the scenery, Orlando Bloom, Viggo Mortensen, and Gimli's stunt double, what's his name, Brett. Brett Beatty, all they were all injured during this. Whoa. Orlando Bloom had broken ribs. Viggo Mortensen had broken a toe, which we will talk about in just a second. And um, Louise, were they Brett like- Beatty had a knee injury. Huh. So I was like, oh, these poor guys. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? Is it because they have all this stuff on them and it's just hard to run properly on these hillsides? Well, they didn't have these injuries from running. They had like gotten them beforehand. Oh, I um, but I just love hearing all these stories behind the scenes of all of the actors like dedication to the movie. Yeah, like the pain and fatigue comes through on their faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the writers of Rohan go past them and then they realize that, oh, they're not the enemy, that's Rohan. And Aragorn calls out to them and they circle them. In this moment, you see that Aragorn has dirty, sweaty, mangy hair. He's very dirty. And then next to him is Legolas, who looks perfect. Pristine, (laughs) you know, just, just stepped out of the salon. I have to say, this whole scene 
this like the way they write in and it like gets around them i again i keep bringing it up but it reminds me so much of like a dungeons and dragons scenario <laughs> i've seen so many times where it's like all right roll for persuasion you know <laughs> like because they're in a very tricky situation here mm-hmm. and you don't it could have ended in a fight very easily but obviously like that wouldn't have been good so yeah it is very yeah it is very tricky because at first aragorn is like oh these guys are on our side but the writers of rohan are very they're very cautious because they think that everyone is under the influence of Saruman now and they've been banished and um, there's a whole thing where Gimli almost gets his head cut off <laughs> and uh, Legolas immediately uh, yeah, Aomer says, like, I would, like, my sword would chop off your head if it were a foot higher, dwarf. And Legolas does not hesitate, pulls out his bow and arrow, he's whips a, it out. He's a full-on Gimli stand at this point, mm-hmm. and I don't blame him. Um, but you see it. You see how, like, what they've just gone through. It hasn't been a lot of time, necessarily, over the course of, like, the movies and the books and everything. But it has been enough experience, um, even just them like running together over the last several days. Like, yeah, they're like becoming BFFs. Yeah. And I love it. Oh, you love to see it. They ask the writers, have you, we're, look, we're chasing these orcs. They had these two hobbits with us. And they're like, oh, orcs, we just defeated a bunch of them last night and burned them all to a crisp. None alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were you friends with alive. any of them? <laughs> I hope not. Um, and Bye, they, take these horses later. Yeah, they give them two horses. And I thought it was hilarious. They conveniently have one white horse that they give to Legolas. Because um, <laughs> all of the elves Oh, this uh, matches your costume. Horses. Exactly, yeah. They're like, we don't want to ruin your aesthetic. Here you go. Here's our right. one white horse. Yeah, so they ride over to this pile of orcs, of smoldering oh. orc bodies. And it's one of their wee belts. Oh, oh they look, yeah, they pull out of the pile and see one of the belts that the hobbits had been wearing, and they're like, Oh, they're dead. And then Aragorn, out of frustration, kicks a helmet. And listeners, this is going to be this week's segment of Is Vigo Mortensen actually a ranger? So when <laughs> when Aragorn, listeners, you may or may not know, I say that because this is this fun fact is like a meme in and of itself. When Aragorn kicks the helmet next to the orc pyre, he actually broke two toes. And this is the take that appeared in the final cut. Peter Jackson was impressed with the scream that Vigo Mortensen gave out um, and was later when he learned that he was injured so impressed that he continued to act and then was surprised to learn later on that Vigo Mortensen actually broke two of his toes here that has to be a hard helmet because he's wearing like decent shoes there right yeah which makes me it like it makes me question like did they not make like a prop helmet that was like lightweight for him to kick Uh, or just like lighter weight i guess not because they um peter jackson talks in a a behind the scenes feature about how like we are getting all these takes and he was just getting better and better each take so clearly he had been doing it you know multiple times yeah it was an improv yeah and then this last this last take he let out such a guttural scream and Peter Jackson was like, that's it. Good job. And then later on was like, no, I broke two toes. Wow. So I I hope it was worth it. And then um, in the extras, when Viggo Mortensen was talking about this, he says that like, oh, well, the only reason, you know, this 
fact or whatever got out about me breaking my toes because I'm an actor and the actors don't usually get hurt. We should really be giving the like love and attention to stunt crew and stunt actors because they're the ones who they're they go through much worse than we do and they push onward anyway and you know the credit goes to them. And I just love that little addition to this factoid because Vigo Mortensen is so humble and trying to give a yeah. lot more credit to people um who often go unnoticed in in the very, film world. Very based. Very based mm-hmm. Vigo Mortensen. I I appreciate Yep. That. And that concludes this week's segment of Is Vigo Mortensen Actually a Ranger? Yeah. Tune in next week for Does Vigo Mortensen Really Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Because of Its Treatment of Stuntmen? Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. So he kicks a helmet. Ooh. Breaks a toe. Sad. Then he does really cool ranger stuff right after. Just saying. Yes. Yes. He goes into, he goes, he becomes like Sherlock Aragorn and he's like, oh, yeah. a hobbit was lying here on the grass um, and he starts slowly piecing together what happened as it cuts back and forth between showing what happened with Mary and Pippin. Very cool like filmmaking here. It's like really mm. engaging and th- there's yeah. so much cleverness in these early scenes compared to like, I don't know, what's what's another Peter Jackson movie? Um, Hobbit. Sorry, <laughs> just keep harping on that. And they're like, oh no, they went into Fangorn Forest. Rip. That's not good. Very, very good, like, quick way of being like, who would go in there? And it's like, sure, like, you don't really know why it's dangerous, but we're about to find out. And so it cuts back and shows Merry and Pippin running into the forest. And they're like, oh, I think we escaped. Nope, there's still one more orc coming after them. And they're like, oh, quick, we have to hide. And this is where I get very mad because later on in this movie is a very ridiculous scene where Frodo uses his cloak to cover up Sam and they just miraculously turn into a rock and they hide from an orc that is like 10 feet from them and should have seen them. And that is the only time they use these magical camouflage elf cloaks. And so moments well, like these when they're like, Does it hide. work when they don't have the pen thing? The, the little brooch? Yeah. What do you mean? Is, is there something magical about that? Or? I don't think so. No, because I think okay. it's the material itself. Oh, okay. Um, So this is where I'm just like, okay, if we're going to give them these magic cloaks that can make them turn into a rock, they need to use it at any other point when they have to hide. So, Well, maybe, maybe they were just under pressure and they forgot and climbing trees. Yeah. Seems yeah, like a safer yeah. bet. I will cover up for these plot holes left and right. <laughs> so they start climbing a tree and an orc jumps up and pulls Mary down. Pippin is like, no, Mary, no. And then the tree he's holding on to blinks and opens its eyes. It's like a fun double take. <laughs> it's like you can imagine the blinking meme guy. <laughs> yeah. The one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I really like this reveal of of Treebeard. Uh, he saves Mary from the from the orc and Treebeard is like, hmm, tiny orcs, who are you? I don't trust you at all. Blah. And Mary and Pippin are very afraid and they think they're going to get killed. And yeah, I just I love Treebeard. I love him. I love him. They're like, oh, the tree talks. <laughs> and he goes, tree? I'm no tree. And uh, 
Th- that being said, though, I don't know how people in theaters were able to understand what he was saying without subtitles on. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know either, because I always had the subtitles on, especially with this movie. Like, you need it. <laughs> like, everyone's mm-hmm. name sounds the same. Exactly. He's yeah. so cool in this scene, though. He's just like Treebeard is voiced by I didn't know this until like a couple hours ago. Treebeard is voiced by John Reese Davies, who oh, plays yeah. Gimli. And I was like, what a random like did they just forget to cast Treebeard? And they're like, Oh shoot, who's on who's on set today that's not really doing anything? Hey John, come over here. Well, I wonder if they tried to find somebody else, but and then maybe had Reese Davies like read the part or something. And I could see Peter Jackson liking it so much and not being able to accept any other version of it. You know, like that's one mm-hmm. theory I have. But I don't know. I don't know the the details there. I know. I just think it's um. I don't know. It just it's just like so random and weird that like he would have you know two parts in this movie. We should call him. Set the record straight. Yeah. Hold on. But yeah, let me call him random up real now. quick. Apparently, Treebeard's voice was made. Uh, there weren't like any special effects added to it. It was just John Reese Davies speaking in the lowest possible register of his voice through a wooden megaphone. Hmm. I, can, I don't know what a wooden megaphone looks like, but apparently that's what they use. I, I easily I, look, I'm somebody who's watched Dave the Barbarian from the Disney Channel, <laughs> so I, I can picture that pretty well. The only problem is that I also see a squirrel tied to the top of it. I, I have a feeling exactly zero people will know what the heck I'm talking about. Right now. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, oh, that is the next. So Once you're done with all the Tolkien stuff, call me up because we got the Barbarian. Yeah, I want to rewatch every episode of that show. Perfect, perfect. Dave the Barbarian. Uh, huge but it? a wimp, I think is the huge name. but a wimp. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so Treebeard is not trusting of the hobbits. He says, I'm going to take you to the White Wizard. And we're like, oh, oh no, the White Wizard. I know who that is. And I know they were on the way to Isengard. That could only mean. Mm-hmm. And he uh, throws him down at the feet of a White Wizard. I don't know who it is. We'll have to wait a couple minutes to find out. But it is like a nice little, you know, obviously we know rewatching it or having read the books, you know that that is Gandalf. Right. So I like how they did this reveal because it's it's very, you know, it's very tricky what they did. It was like a nice little fake out because he genuinely because they show him from the back. It actually looks like Saruman. Right. Yeah, it, it works pretty well for this narrative purpose. But I don't think I ever didn't know who that was. Like even watching the movie for the first time, because I think even then, like I remember the books. Mm-hmm. So, but still, imagine being like a super casual viewer. You've only seen the first movie. That must have been really cool. Like a really big moment. Like later when he like comes into focus, it's like what? Yeah, that's something that I um, because even reading the book, you know, there were very few things that I knew about as I was reading the books, but. I knew that Gandalf was going to come back at some point. When I when I read that part of the book, I was I was very surprised actually because I had zero idea that it was going to happen then. So it was like a nice little surprise. But I um yeah, I wonder what it was like for people watching these movies for the first time, you know, back in 2002 it was Two Towers. Yeah, one year after 9/11, Two Towers comes out. Whoops. Yeah, I <laughs> you know, I kind of remember people like 
bringing that up, but I think it did get spun as like a patriotism thing. It's like we can enjoy these movies and not let the terrorists win. I I vaguely remember that being sort of the the thing. The narrative, the yeah, yeah. they're going with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wonder, because, you know, also at the time when these movies were coming out, it's not like people knew, except for people who had read the books, which are very dense. You know, it's not like Harry Potter, that yeah. Harry Potter, everyone read before going to see the movies. Everyone knew it was going to happen. I bet very few people read the books mm-hmm. while watching these movies. Kind of like Game of Thrones, like in the early days, right? Mm-hmm. And I did know I, I did know Lord of the Rings was becoming a big thing eventually when Lizzie McGuire made a reference to it. When that happened, <laughs> I was like, whoa, this isn't just nerd stuff anymore. This is I mean, it's still pretty nerdy stuff, but Lizzie McGuire. That's funny. Figure it out on the way. Well, it's also funny because there's someone in the writer's room at Brooklyn Nine-Nine who is a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I think it was maybe season three. Several episodes in a row had multiple Lord of the Rings references to it. It's really remarkable that something that, you know, the mo- it's been dead for, I say it's been dead. The movies came out 20 years ago, you know, uh, and the Hobbit movies that came out much later weren't that good. And it's not like this thing has a massive theme park that keeps everything alive and the franchise alive. And sure, we have the Amazon Prime yeah. series coming up, but like, it's just, you know, it's very prolific still. So that's like really impressive for the series. I'd also say the video games, the video games have been pretty like one of the reasons I rewatched the movies was Shadow of Mordor, the sequel coming out. (gasps) Oh, and I also so (laughs) in a very like roundabout way, I got my hands on a PS3 so that I could watch uh, my family's Blu-ray copies of the Lord of the Rings extended edition box set. It's the only reason I got a PS3 so I could watch Blu-ray discs. Um, but now that I have it, yeah, slippery slope. I could probably because are are the Lord of the Rings games on PS? I don't mm. know it. I think the most I think Shadow of Mordor might be on PS3 as well, but I'm pretty sure the sequel is only PS4. <sighs> pretty sure. Well, that's fine. Some of the earlier games or older games, maybe I yeah. could get like secondhand or something. Oh, because that, that's something I didn't think of because I've heard a lot of people bring up the games before and I'm like, oh, that sounds really fun, but I don't have a PlayStation. So I'll probably just never, you know, I'll never be able to play those games. That's fine. Whatever. But now that I have one. <laughs> yeah. Evil, <laughs> maniacal hand <laughs> gestures. Exactly. Yeah. So then we cut back to Sam and Frodo and Gollum. And this is where I like, I don't know how you feel, but I couldn't help but like let out a groan and a sigh of like, Ugh. but like we were making such progress with the other plot line. <laughs> like that was going yeah, great. It does feel a little bit like of an interruption. Also, I call this the missed opportunity scene. I'll get to that. Oh, interesting. Um, So they are approaching the dead marshes, which are very well done in the movie. They they do a very good job of like setting the scene of like this is a very gross, ominous place to be right now. And there are all of these bodies floating and looking up. So cool. Uh, It's very, yeah, very creepy. Very Uh, good. One of my favorite production design elements of like the whole movie second one so while watching it for the first time uh i was with a friend and she was like snapchatting my reactions to certain stuff and she was uh recording my reaction to this part it was like as frodo is staring at one of the bodies and then it cuts back and forth a couple times and i say like 
oh, it's probably, I was like, I was like, oh, it's going to open its eyes, kind of joking. And then like half a second later, it opened its eyes and I was like, oh, I called it. <laughs> I think I'm its eyes This is like one of the first of many times, right? Where like Gollum does like creepy exposition <laughs> and like I, there's something about the way he gets it across that's so engaging. Like I can't help but be so fascinated by the story here just because of the way that like Andy Serkis tells it, you know, mm -hmm. and I want to like learn more about like what is this battle that happened so long ago? And ugh. it's also a very creepy subject, you know, because he's talking yeah. about this huge battle and all these people that died here. So, you know, it's creepy no matter who would be telling it. This is why I call it missed opportunity to see. Yes. Right? Yeah. This scene serves two purposes, very two important purposes, right? The first one is to show what Gollum brings to the table. It's the first instance we show like why he's able a good resource for getting to Mordor. It's because he knows these shortcuts. Right, uh -huh. He's able to explain that some more. And so when it happens later in the movie, it doesn't come out of nowhere. So that all works pretty well. And it's a, it's a fun scene because it lends some danger and makes their journey more interesting. The second purpose to this scene that I think is really important is that it starts Frodo on the path of trusting Gollum too much because Gollum saves him and he misconstrues that because he doesn't really see that it's the ring that Gollum actually cares about. All that's great, right? It's like, yeah, good scene. But the reason I call it Missed Opportunity to See is because something that happens in the third movie, in the third book, you have this entire section with all of these ghosts, right? And you have all of these spirits and they could set right. it up so easy for them to be the army that saves everybody in the final battle. But instead in the third movie, it's just like this it's a whole separate other yeah. dead army, but you could totally just like move the, that story into this dead marshes area. Mm -hmm. And then you get to come back here. Then you get to have Aragorn and them just like survive the, the marshes and you get some closure to this area. And then it feels even more of a payoff. Just saying that's my, that's my little, no, that's really, no, 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 no. That's a great, um, cause it, uh, a like criticism for the army of the dead in Return of the King is that it's very random and it's it, it's that way as well in the book. Aragorn he like goes and sits by himself and looks into the Palantir and is like I had a revelation we have to go do this very creepy thing and a lot of us might die on the way to it and then the army of the dead wakes up and saves the day it's very you know last minute deus ex machina thing and it feels if I like if I didn't know that that was in the book I would just think that was the writers making up something you right. know and then it's also funny you bring that up because why Watching, yeah, so Frodo is entranced by one of the bodies and he like just falls in. As he's underwater, the like ghosts come up and it looks very similar. Yeah. It almost was like they were testing out what they wanted to do with the army of the dead in this scene because it looks very similar to the army of the dead well didn't they film it back to back so they could have planned that not necessarily like the filming the filming of it but the special effects people having to go in yeah. and decide like okay what are we going to do with the army of the dead i know we'll make a mock-up version of one or two of these like ghost creepy dead things underwater and we'll see how that looks so i just it, thought it was interesting it that like they look so similar and i would have tried to make them look different so it's really interesting that you bring up this idea of like they should have come back to the marshes 
Aragorn should have come back here and this should be the army that he awakens. Right. Honestly, that's a criticism I would give for for Tolkien. That's what Tolkien should have written from the beginning. You know? <laughs> well, you know, I give Tolkien a lot of slack, but I would say like that is an advantage that the movie can have. It's like all these years later, you could see these opportunities to sort of improve mm-hmm. upon the original. And I see it as a missed opportunity because it really would be such a cool moment for, based on what we hear, this is a combination of two armies. This is orcs, elves, and men. So you could have had it like raise just the men and the elves, or even if you did raise the orcs too, I don't think that would really work. But if you had them like (laughs) fighting together and that's that thematically is really resonant too, because then it's showing like, you know, unify a unification that is resonant of the past, like coming back to save the day again. And I, you know, I'll, I'll stop. (laughs) It's all right. It's fine. (laughs) Third movie. No, no, no. It's all great. Gollum and Sam get him out of there, whatever. And then as Frodo is sleeping that night, he is it shows him like stroking the ring and you see that he is like very quickly becoming having like the same addiction to it that Gollum has. And it's so great how they do this scene of it shows him with the ring and being entranced by it. And then over his shoulder Gollum starts like talking and being Gollum and creepy and gross and Frodo wakes up and hears Gollum say my precious and he's like what did you call it and this like realization in Frodo of like oh I'm like I'm not that different from Gollum right now. Yeah, he sees the Hobbit in him. Mm-hmm. They form this this connection uh, is what is starting to be formed. And Frodo starts to have some empathy for him and says like, you know, you used to be you used to be a Hobbit once, didn't you? Smeagol. And it's so it's so cool what they do. And it's such a good choice what they decided to do with the like animation of Gollum when he's going between Gollum and Smeagol. As Frodo is asking him about, you know, Smeagol and kind of reminding him of his old life, you see his eyes like brighten up and they look a lot more human and his pupils are not as dilated and he looks you know his eyes look very kind honestly he's more downbeaten too like he's not as fidgety he's a little you know you can sort of feel control over him as the audience that you didn't before and it's Mm -hmm. it's a really good magic trick through animation Mm -hmm. so that's just you know kind of setting the stage of of Gollum having these, you know, two personalities and Frodo starting to form this connection to him that will be very problematic. Yeah. <laughs> He's a problematic fave, that Gollum. Yes. And then the Nazgul come and it's another instance where they're like, quick, hide. Let's not use our magic elf cloaks. Let's hide under this bush instead. Oh, boy. <laughs> and as the Nazgul are flying around, Frodo reaches for the ring and say, this is a moment from the book. And I... Oh, I love that they pulled it directly from the book and used it here. Sam grabs Frodo's hand and holds his hand so that he can't reach for the ring in this moment. He's, man, what a good buddy. What a best friend. It's a good moment. Because he's so scared in that moment too, you know, like Sean Astin Mm -hmm. does such a good job showing it. And like, you see that like his like love for Frodo, like completely triumphs over his fear and this is like one of the not one of the first instances of it but it's like a progression of like those little steps he's taking to eventually when that moment <laughs> the moment in the third movie with him comes we feel it we feel it like really earned at that point mm-hmm. yeah little moments exactly like this. and then we cut back to 
my favorite people again. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to the fun part. <laughs> yes. Let's see. So Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli are now in Fangorn Forest. They're still looking for Merry and Pippin. This is something that was cut from the movie that is, it like hurts my soul because it's such a great Legolas, Gimli plotline in the book. Legolas has this, because he's from Mirkwood, he has this deep love of the trees and forests. Uh, in the movie, you get this impression that like he's very like afraid of it. But in the book, he's like, no, they're trees. They're my friends. And Aww, I love them. That and, sounds kind of nice. <laughs> and he he's a tree boy and he loves it he's and Gimli <laughs> Gimli meanwhile is like no these are evil trees and and they have I this, like rocks <laughs> yeah <laughs> it starts this argument between them of like what is the most beautiful place in Middle Earth and Gimli brings up something called the glittering caves they say like well if we live through all of this I'll go with you to the glittering caves if you come with me to Mirkwood and they're like deal and it's this little Legolas and Gimli road trip subplot yeah. that is so wholesome happens off screen but maybe in the credits we mm-hmm. get to see like some polaroids <laughs> <Post-credit scene. laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> that'd be pretty nice yeah we do kind of get a little bit of of that in this scene with legolas talking about how the forest is feeling and he says like it's angry he says this forest is old very old <laughs> could we not have used a better yeah, Word. we've got more adjectives in the book, dude. Like, <laughs> Very old, whatever. But yeah, he's explaining what's happening with the forest and setting up that like the forest is hurt and hurting because of what Saruman and the orcs are doing. I guess you could call it entmity. Uh... Hmm. I'll be here all hour. <laughs> Another comedic moment from Gimli because he like lifts his axe up and Aragorn's like, Gimli, put your axe down. And he kind of freezes for a second. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> he's, like contemplates oh. it. <laughs> puts his axe down. <laughs> Very loyal though. Like he listened. But yeah, <laughs> it's such good acting because he's just like so like, whoa, whoa, you know, like looking around. <laughs> <laughs> and then Legolas says that the white wizard approaches and they do a lot of close ups of each of their faces and their yeah. eyes in particular. We get a great shot of Legolas's elf eyes. And Aragorn says, like, be prepared, like, do not let him speak because he will cast a spell on us. And they all prepare their weapons. And there's this one shot that is so questionable. And I wonder why it was necessary. And it's a close up of Legolas pulling the the arrow into like knocking it into the string of his bow but orlando bloom like rubs his fingers through the feathers on the arrow and it's like in slow motion and it's a little sexual and i don't know why they did that i didn't read it that way i read it as like okay all right man why don't i defending legolas so much this this thing okay no it's okay i love him i just think what he's doing there it's not that he's like rubbing it for no reason i i just see it's like okay this is a guy who's been doing this for a super long time i see it as a sort of like that's how he sort of like games himself up it's like the kind of thing where you sort of like tip your nose before you do something or like you kind of okay i just see it as like a little little quirk you know, of like how he's such a good shot. Like you could see him having like superstitious, like if I don't do this before I do my shot, then it's not going to land. I don't. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Apologetics no, quir- over. <laughs> no, a quirk. 
I think that's a good way to explain it. I don't know. It was just the way they filmed it. He he just strokes it a little bit too slowly for my liking. <laughs> I thought it and- looks cool, but I see your point. <laughs> and then they immediately get their asses kicked. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's not even... so funny. Ooh, embarrassing. It's not a contest at all. Yeah, I can't... Er, the white wizard appears in this bright light and just immediately knocks them all back. Just not even a fight at all. And they're like, who are you? And then you hear, so what they did with the editing for this, they mixed uh, Sir Christopher Lee's voice together with Ian McKellen's oh, voice okay. for this introduction so that it sounds, so that there's a I bit more. I thought something sounded weird about it. It sounded mm-hmm. a little too deep almost or too gravelly. Yeah, it sounds very much like Saruman, which is what they're, you know, trying to set up that like, oh, this is Saruman. But no, it's Gandalf. Aragorn's like, show yourself. Who are you? And it's scandal this this little exchange to you like where he beats them so quick this is another instance where i feel missed opportunity because it's like they set up the power of these two wizards so much we never get to see them fight oh believe me i would have been so cool the only time we really see them use their magic is in that dumb fight in fellowship of the ring where they're just throwing each other yeah practically fell asleep during that come on It's (laughs) It's <laughs> and then yeah, Gandalf just uses his wizard staff to hit people with for the rest of the yeah. movie. Yep, yep. The video games are way more fun with Gandalf. You get to do really cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, we like I don't know what magic Gandalf can do because he barely uses it. So it's a pretty soft magic system, that's for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's this there's this look in Aragorn's eyes. And this expression that he has when he's like, Gandalf, but you're dead, where he's like, because behind him, Legolas, yeah, Legolas and Gimli have bowed, but Aragorn is still standing up straight. And I just love this moment because like in that one instance, you see that he is still grieving the loss of Gandalf. And so he like can't let himself believe that Gandalf is back and in front of him alive. Very heavy Bible like connection here. Like clearly like riffing off of like when Jesus appears to the disciples, you have the one doubter, you have the two like very, very strong undertones of that, especially with the light too. Cause it's like, they're kind of like, whoa, you know, and it's like so heavenly and definitely not a stretch to say that's kind of what was, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to be communicated here. Oh, for sure. For sure. Gandalf explains what happened and talks about how he defeated the Balrog and then he says the phrase I strayed out of thought and time which is how I feel right now yeah, uh, as we're recording where <laughs> we're in a post election day but pre results world well I was gonna link it to COVID of just like oh that too <laughs> you know it's like it's only been a few days but it's felt like a lifetime of, you know? yeah <laughs> he talks about how like he was brought back as Gandalf the White to serve another quest, basically. His By name, who you know, and how? Who cares? <laughs> we don't... Yeah, it's, it's again, just a vague, unexplained magic system. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Is, is what it is. Some very vague sense I get from the books and movies where it's like, there's like a darkness and there's like a cosmic light and there's sort of like the god and evil of this and it's like a weird merging i see of like yin and yang like eastern philosophy and then also like christian 
religion it's like it's a kind of a mix i think because they imply that like the two sides sort of need each other but at the same time one is clearly evil one is clearly bad i don't know my two cents yeah and so the next thing (laughs) they go out wait 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 before before we get to shadow effects he forgets his name right which makes no sense plot hole plot hole i don't well i don't know necessarily that it's he forgets his name but it's um because we have to set up that because they say like gimli says gandalf and he's like gandalf oh no i am not gandalf the gray anymore i am gandalf the white well he it kind of the scene sort of implies right that this is the first time he's heard his name in forever but hold on he was just with the hobbits did they not call him Gandalf at any point? I don't. I, look, I'm with you there that n- basically nothing about how Gandalf <laughs> came back to be makes sense. He None is, of it is He explained. loves drama. That's what it is. He's like, mm-hmm. he did he did that for real with Pippin and Mary. He was like, oh, Gandalf the Grey. And then with them, he's like, I got to do it again. I can't just <laughs> give them the, you know, second hit sloppy seconds. Come on. <laughs> and then, yeah. So then they leave the forest and Gandalf like sings and whistles for Shadow Facts. Shadow Facts coming in hot. <laughs> Comes out and it kind of just looks like a tampon commercial for yeah, a bit. Yeah, it's like either that or like the cover of like an erotic romance novel. Yes! <laughs> of just shadow facts running through fields. And this is another instance I'll point to when people are like, how is Two Towers? How are, how, how are the Lord of the Rings movies so long? It's because they have a full two-minute scene for shadow facts. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Which... <laughs> I'm not exactly complaining about because the horses and Shadowfax in particular are such a big part of the books that like this is this moment is them paying, you know, homage to to that part of the books. That's so I appreciate that. I I will just say is we're kind of I guess we're kind of wrapping up here with this segment. I know you said you really like these scenes. These are great scenes. Um, It's a great movie. But I also did like one of one of the little flaws. It's like a minor flaw that I have with. Lord of the Rings in general, as told by Peter Jackson, is that he uses certain like filmmaking shortcuts to communicate emotion. He doesn't do it all the time, but he does it with this stuff. It's like, you know, this is important because this is slow motion, even though that just looks like Mm -hmm. a regular horse. It's like, this is important because like this character dying is important, even though you barely know them because the music swells up and there's a lot of like emotional manipulation he does here. It's not inherently a bad thing, but it is a little tiny, insy bit lazy sometimes. No, uh, it was very heavy handed in fellowship. Um, There were a lot, there were like two or three moments where a character would be speaking and would be like, this will either bring about the ruin of all. And then it would cut to Boromir. Or uh, we shall restore hope. And then it would like cut to Sam, who is the representation of hope, you know. Gee, I wonder if that's intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Grima of Wormtongue so, again. You know, it's like, uh, of course. You they're know, not leaving like, anything up to the interpretation of the audience. They're like making sure you you get it right off the bat, you know. Which is a little slightly a bit of a betrayal to Tolkien in some ways, I would say, mm-hmm. because Reading those books, as I'm sure as you remember, he he was one of the most important. He is the most important fantasy writer of all time. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons is because it's not just that he invented so many staples of the genre or popularized a lot of tropes. It's because he was able to prove to a really snobby elite class of novelists at the time and critics that you can have genre fiction be 
deep. And you can't have amazing writers like Tolkien write these stories and have beautiful prose and be able to just at random moments just write about like a fox, you know, like running into a meadow and stuff like that just proves that there can be more to this. And that's where we are now. And that's why I feel a little bit like Peter Jackson, take take some notes, man. Like you don't have to. I, I, I hate to say that it's not representative of the whole movie, obviously, or the movies. He does a great job with them overall, but. I get a little, a little feisty. No, you're this. no, no, no. You're totally. That is just so accurate. Yeah. So Shadowfax comes out. Gandalf is like, "That's the Lord of the Horses," and neglects to mention that he actually, in the books, he stole Shadowfax from Rohan, and that is why when Gandalf goes to Rohan, that's really why everyone in Rohan and Theoden and everyone is mad to see him yeah. because he stole their most precious horse and that's just a fact that they just didn't put in the movies at all which is kind of weird they could have because it makes huh. me laugh so much because in the first movie the frodo says like they're calling you a disturber of the peace that's exactly what gandalf is and he he stole their horse and it's just like oh yeah he's mine now it's like no he's you stole him i like edgy gandalf <laughs> though i think that's what's effective about the books is like you don't get this sort of like you know sunday school cookie cutter gandalf who's like pure of heart and everything you get yeah. like the really like wise i guess fellowship does it pretty well but like the wisecracking kind of impish gandalf rascally. which is super fun mm-hmm. and it makes yeah. more sense that a person with that much power wouldn't be that reliably good <laughs> you know like he mm-hmm. comes through in a pinch but at the same time like he's not a perfect person i guess gandalf the white's a different story but mm-hmm. yeah and then they, the the four of them, ride off to Rohan. And that is where we are going to end this section of the movie. And I remember at the beginning when I was like, oh, I think I've divided the movie up into more manageable chunks for discussion. Surely <laughs> nope. if I invite John Negroni on, it'll be a concise, uh, no, stay on no, track. No. Uh... All of the other recordings have gone two hours every time and i'm like great i guess now i have to go again for like the fourth time and dev- re-divide up the movies into maybe half hour segments it's now. only gonna I get worse know. though because it's, these scenes are just gonna get more and more dense <laughs> return, so. return the other thing is that like return of the king is gonna go on for like three months if i do it by half hour segments so i don't know whatever it's fine that's a problem for future me present me right now is going to say john thank you for coming on and discussing two towers thanks for uh, what would you me. like to plug and where can people find you on the internet i'd like to plug my charger into my ipad so i can finish the two towers <laughs> <laughs> um, you can listen to me on my podcast talk about newer movies on Cinemaholics. Although on Cinemaholics, we do have Extra Milestone, which we talk about old movies as well. Lots of fun ones. Um, I'm not on all of those, but we have Sam Noland, uh, who hosts the Extra Milestone podcast. And Sam Wise Gamgee is like his favorite fictional character <laughs> um, from these movies. Like literally the first time uh, I emailed Sam because he was a listener of a podcast I used to do. He uh, his profile picture was Sam, the not so brave. And, uh, you know, it's a fun little connection there. Um, I know he really loves those movies. But yeah, Cinemaholics, you can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that stuff. That's what I'm talking about is a proud member of WBE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBE.org, where you will find all of our other shows like Hello from Elsewhere. 
Do you find yourself thinking deeply about pop culture? Do you wish for a super nerdy podcast that explores your favorite movies and books? Well, look no further. From WBNE, it's Hello from Elsewhere. On our podcast, we promise to literally transport you to all your favorite fictional settings. I don't think we can actually promise that. Yes, we can. Travel with us to the Death Star. We can't put people in harm's way like that. Or visit beautiful new Asgard. That's so many plane tickets to Norway. Explore the eras of Jane Austen or Frankenstein. Metaphorically, we don't know how to implement time travel. We do now on Hello From Elsewhere. We're going to get in trouble with these promises. With new episodes every other Friday, Hello From Elsewhere is available wherever you find your podcasts. Yes, that part is true. You can even listen on the Hogwarts Express. Oh boy. The cover is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook at Tolkien About Pod. Actually, you can't find it on Facebook at Tolkien About Pod, but if you search That's What I'm Talking About, the group should come up. You can find me on Twitter at mcwhatsup and Instagram at mcturndownforwhat. And you can support the podcast on Patreon uh, and become a patron. This week's sponsor is Matt. Matt, thank you so much for being a longtime and continued supporter of the podcast. Your support means a lot to me. What up? It's Mary Clay from the future. I forgot to say what we'll be covering next week. We will be picking up where we left off here. Uh, it's about minute 46. And we will be ending at... Hour one, 11 minutes and 53 seconds as Saruman is making the wargs in Isengard. And that is it. Um, Thank you, John, for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Um, I want to echo that Vaishan is awesome because he's mm-hmm. designing the cover of one of my new books. And it's, I can't wait for you all to see it because it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. I will 100% in the, in the episode on the note that Vaishan is awesome. And that's what I'm talking about. By the way, did you know that when Aragorn kicks the helmet, Viggo Mortensen actually broke his toes and that's the cape? Mm. By the way, did you know that Aragorn kicks the helmet? By the way, we- by the way, did you know that when Aragorn kicks the helmet, Viggo Mortensen actually broke his toes there and that's the take that they kept in the movie?